Hey, welcome back. This is Chelsea on Ched. Thanks for being here, Ched Nation. You know, we've talked about the drug crisis so many times and in so many different ways. We've talked about harm reduction as a strategy. We've talked about involuntary treatment being an option. But something that really doesn't get talked about enough or even at all is this idea of a drug bust paradox. So when law enforcement cracks down on drug users or drug dealers, it actually creates, at least according to our next guest, this influx of drug activity. So what is going on and what can we learn from this? We're going to get into it right now with medical anthropologist at North Carolina State University and one of the authors of this new paper, The Drug Bust Paradox, Dr. Jennifer Carroll. Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate getting your perspective on this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I think a medical anthropologist just opens up so many different doors of interesting studies. So I'm curious to know why you were passionate about looking into this specific problem. Yeah, medical anthropology is great. I'm I'm very lucky and I love my job and I get to meet a lot of amazing people along the way. I think that's the best perk. And it was actually some of those people who I have met throughout different stages of my career that really inspired this kind of research. This is, a, a I guess, an inspiration that was shared by me and a number of other people who are on this study, including Brad Ray, the primary investigator. We have been hearing from folks that we work with for a long time that the pattern we observed is the case, that it's happening in the world. I first learned this, actually, when I was doing a community liaison trip in Manchester, New Hampshire, and had the privilege of meeting some of the local fire, EMS, and first responders. And it was actually an emergency medical tech that told us, you know, every time there is a major interdiction, a big arrest, or a drug bust, we're always really careful to make sure that all of our ambulances have external naloxone in them, because we see more overdoses. And right around that same time, I was in New England talking to people who use drugs post overdose, kind of asking them, like, well, why today? You know, I'm glad you're well and you got access to naloxone and you survived and that's wonderful. But why was this? Why did this happen today? What was different today if you've been using heroin for a long time? And they told us something really similar, which is, well, I wasn't able to access my regular supply. I wasn't able to access my regular supplier. I got something less familiar and had an accident. So this is something that people across the spectrum have been telling us from community members to law enforcement to first responders for a long time. Which is interesting because those people, I think, are arguably on on the inside. You know, they're right in the trenches Mm -hmm. dealing with these issues. And I think then when you back off and you look at what the greater public understands about drugs and what to do about them, there's this messaging that comes down of, you know, crack down and and target Mm -hmm. the problem, target the dealer. And this is really interesting to understand what really can happen when that's the case. That's not to say that there isn't still, you know, a big situation that we need to be dealing with, but the ripple effect of that is fascinating. So let's dive into that a little bit more. So it's essentially as simple as a drug dealer gets caught and then their regular customers have to go elsewhere to a maybe more more unregulated or unpredictable supply? Yeah, that's one of the several mechanisms that we propose. It's actually been documented by previous research. You know, and I understand that it's it's very uh, logical and straightforward. It's intuitive to hear the message that if we crack down, if we increase policing, if we take drugs off the street, there will be less drug-related harm. I understand how that makes a lot of sense to people. It stops feeling counterintuitive to claim that the opposite is true, that that kind of policing, that kind of action can cause more harm. 
if you understand more about how the drug market works, right? Mm. So I was initially sort of like, "Mm, how could that be happening? How could that be true? When I first started hearing it from first responders and then talking to more and more people who are engaged in the drug market, either as participants or observers or people who, you know, police it, we're learning that, in fact, you know, that's the case. I think it's important to point out that some of the harms that we have from substances, especially opioids, comes not so much from the opioids themselves or from the strength of the opioids themselves, but from the fact that they don't have a lot of room for error. Right? Mm. So if you overdose yourself just a little bit, that could be an accidental fatality, right? It could get really bad for you really, really quickly. Mm. And if we have someone going to it, maybe a supplier that they're less familiar with, maybe someone that they haven't built enough trust with, don't communicate as well, or just someone who's selling a product they're slightly less familiar with, like a different batch that they don't know, even if that person is really conscientious, is doing their best to take care of their clients. Um, and I, I think it's important to point out that while there are bad people in the world selling drugs, there's bad people in every profession, and there's a lot of caring people who are selling drugs. And so even someone who is trying really hard to be like, hey, this is a little bit stronger, or this isn't that strong. I mean, we're not talking numbers, we're talking sort of soft, squishy, qualitative differences. That just creates a lot of room for error. Um, You know, if you're putting too much chili into your, you know, spicy food, something like that, that error can give you uh, indigestion, hot mouth, things like that. If you're if we're talking about opioids, that error, unfortunately, can be deadly. So that's the mechanism we're looking at. That fluctuation and unpredictability is the cause of that overdose risk more so than just the drugs themselves. How much, Dr. Carroll, does withdrawal then play into it? So I'm imagining a scenario where a dealer has been caught, there's been a bust, and then the people that would regularly go to that person as their source to use mm-hmm. are going through heavy withdrawal symptoms. Does that desperation lead to using in a greater quantity, or is that is that me not understanding the situation properly? <laughs> No, I think your intuition is good. We know that certainly happens. What we can't say right now, and we need more research to understand, is how often that happens. So mm-hmm. what proportion of the time that someone gets stuck in a bad situation where they have no supply, um, what is happening one way or the other, we don't know how often, but we do know that it does happen. It does happen to some people sometimes. So going into withdrawal is very, very uncomfortable. We know from other research that short periods of abstinence, uh, going into a detox without getting medication like methadone or buprenorphine on the other side, uh, spending a little bit of time in jail can really increase that overdose risk because it drops your tolerance. And so Mm -hmm. again, when you come back out, if you return to use, even if you're being careful, there's a lot of, there's not much room for error and a lot of chance for an accidental mistake. Um, But at the same time, you know, withdrawal is horrible. I think anyone who has ever experienced it can tell you that they would not wish that on their worst enemy. And so someone, you know, in a period of distress, whether it's pain, physical pain, whether it's withdrawal, even even heartbreak. I think most people can relate to the, the pain of heartbreak. We don't make our best decisions when we're in distress. And mm-hmm. so that might lead someone to uh, an unfamiliar supply, a less safe option, something. It just, it just puts people more at risk of making decisions that are less optimal for them. And in the day-to-day, that can lead to the harm that we see and often associate with drug use. Dr. Carroll, you co-authored this paper, The Drug Bust Paradox, and you're speaking to us from the States. This is a radio station that's in Canada. So what does this look like in different geographical locations? Is this sort of the rule based on your study across the board everywhere? 
Well, I think we have a lot to learn about that, but I have a lot of wonderful peers and colleagues who are from and working in Canada who are uh, discovering a lot of the same things. In fact, in a lot of ways, Canada has been a leader um, helping us down in the States learn what we can do to improve our own public health responses, um, you know, programs like Insight and other places like that uh, that are offering drug checking and overdose prevention centers. That's been an incredible model for us, and I've been very, very honored to be able to learn from some of those people. But as far as criminalization goes, you know, I'm an anthropologist, so I, I always hesitate to overgeneralize, but I do think we have a lot of data that tells us that similar phenomenon is really possible from place to place, right? Um, we know also that, uh, like, I think Portugal is a really popular example that when there is decriminalization, um, there is often less harm. We've seen that in other places, like Uruguay has a similar um, uh, type of policy. We're still seeing what the consequences are of the state of Oregon's decriminalization policy. But it's also really, really important to know that just turning off the law enforcement response and doing nothing else is not the right solution. Um, I think we have really good reason to pause and ask what criminalization has brought us mm. and then what has this prohibitionist policy really done? Is it delivering what we want it to do? I think increasingly we learned that it doesn't, yeah. but it must be met with a massive increase in available services, treatment, uh, supportive services, housing, jobs, basic health care, mental health care, all these sorts of things. Right. We can't just take away one pressure point and expect everything to be OK. It's got to be a big, multifaceted and very supportive response. Yeah. If there were one answer, I think we would already be chasing that as a society and it, and it would oh, work. Yeah. And, and yet here we are with these very nuanced mm -hmm. problems that exist in so many different locations. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked, Dr. Carroll, about how originally this sort of piqued your interest when you were talking to first responders who were dealing with this situation mm -hmm. and arming their, themselves with more naloxone kits and understanding that there would be an increase in overdose activity after someone was mm -hmm. arrested. So is the message with your paper to encourage other teams like that, other first responders in other areas to understand that maybe arming themselves with more of those kids and just understanding the situation is the way forward? Or do you feel that they're already doing that? I think both are true. I think uh, people who are really paying attention, folks that are really good at their job, are seeing the patterns on the ground for what they are. There's a lot of first responders out there. Um, there's a lot of harm reductionists and public health professionals and a lot of people who use drugs out there who do not need this study to know that this is true, right? Yeah. I've gotten a lot of, yeah, man, we already knew that from a lot of our <laughs> partners. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think encouraging that awareness is really, really good insofar as we are going to continue to be in a place where the automatic response to substance use and the drug market is criminalization, I think that knowledge and awareness in our first responders is really, really key. But I think this also invites us to, as I said, think again about that criminalization, right? Um, we have a Good Samaritan law in most of our states here in the United States. Uh, Canada, I believe, has a national Good Samaritan law, something that provides uh, sort of protection from certain drug crimes or drug prosecutions if you call 911 or emergency mm. services to report an overdose. This is a great policy, right? It works really, really well. Um, fear of being arrested um, or, or having a warrant checked or going back to jail is a huge weight on people who are debating whether or not to call 911. And again, that's a distressing moment and we don't make our best decisions when we're in distress. Those laws remove that unfair choice that we're asking people to make, and they can be really effective at helping people survive overdose by connecting them with those services. 
If that's so effective, if carving out these little pockets of criminal drug law in the case of overdose is so effective at preventing overdose, what more could we do by finding places to hit pause on that criminalization or possibly even change our approach entirely? Right. These are questions that require a lot of stakeholders and a lot of communities uh, conversation, lots of folks at the table. But I think it's beyond time to consider how we might be able to improve all of our communities by just taking a very different tack. Yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And I hope that we get to a point where there's enough buy in that we can embrace some different approaches because we have a situation that is is deemed a crisis. And I don't think it's too light to frame it as that. Dr. Carroll, thank right. you so much for making the time to explain your work and uh, and provide some insight today. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think the study gives us a lot of room for optimism. We're learning about things that we can do that save lives, and that's very exciting. So I'm, I'm really happy to be here to talk to you about it. Happy to have you share it. Dr. Jennifer Carroll is a medical anthropologist at North Carolina State University and one of the authors of the paper The Drug Bust Paradox.